2: Agriculture of America today. That's because we are coming to you from a ballroom in Tucson, Arizona. We're on location today and tomorrow to work with the folks from Uncommon Farms. We'll be featuring a constellation of conversations with the folks from that organization here over the next two days. We'll also be checking in on some of the regular factors continuing to move the markets here in agriculture. Looking at prices as we stand today, getting this week under under a slow star. We've got the grains and the oil seeds down a little bit. Wheat is bucking the trend we are up Four to five cents here in the wheat market across the board, folks. In segment two, we're going to check with our friend John Sandbaken, the executive director of the National Sunflower Association, about some of the issues that have developed for that crop over the past year. And then in segment three, we're going to bring the focus back to Uncommon Farms. We're going to talk to several board members, get a feel for the future of that organization, before closing the show with a look at how young farmers are working to make ends meet in a volatile area. Before we dive into all of that, however, folks, we wanted to make sure you get to know who Uncommon Farms is. To help us answer that very important question, we're talking first with Matt Ronkin. He's the CEO of Uncommon Farms. Matt, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for being here. Well, let's talk a little bit about Uncommon Farms. Matt, who is it? What is
3: this group? Yeah, thanks. So Uncommon Farms has been in existence for close to 20 years. So on, on one way, we're, we're full of experience. On the other, we feel like we're just getting started in terms of the value that we can add to our clients. So you know, our goal is to create the most valuable community of farms and farmers across North America. And then we're driven by one, one purpose, one mission, and that's to allow family farms to control their own destiny. And um, our value proposition is quite unique. So we work with each one of our members, put together a strategic plan, and then put the resources in place that allow them to be able to do that. And we do that across a number of different disciplines. Um, the real core, the real value of who we are and what we are is the community, then, of bringing all of those members together. And this is a great example of, of, of how we do that. And then third thirdly we attract strategic partners that want to work with a group like ours progressive like-minded farmers that are willing to try new things and and want to get that competitive advantage for themselves it sounds like in my conversations with a few of the attendees here so far
2: Matt there is a a lot of diversity in the background for the growers that are here and I understand your background has quite a bit of diversity as well can you tell us what your route was to get
3: you into the role as CEO here at Uncommon Farms yeah absolutely so I I would call it an uncommon route uh, into the CEO uh, role see I did that guys um, But so my background is is uh, ironically just not in agriculture so I didn't grow up on a farm didn't go to ag school didn't grow up in the agriculture industry at all in fact my career was was uh, builds at Ralston Purina pet foods in, in st. Louis Missouri and have a marketing and sales background and moved into general management roles uh, as I went along one of those roles that I had was with Purina was to uh, run a small acquisition that we made out in Durango Colorado called pet nutrition and uh, they they gave me the keys to the car so to speak and allowed me to to build a business strategy to to use my leadership to build the culture and that's where I fell in love with that that entrepreneurship and so I knew at some point in my career I wanted to work with and work for entrepreneurs and help them achieve their goals and so I made quite a shift at one point Um, I I worked with a marketing services company for a couple of years I worked with some smaller pet food companies and got the phone call from from uh, uncommon farms and there you go. So you've been at Uncommon Farms. You've brought that background.
2: That What struck me, Matt, in your comments right there was building a culture. That seems to be something that's jumped out at you. I've heard you mention it a couple of different times. What What was it about that
3: ability to build a culture that attracted you to Uncommon Farms? Yeah, I think it's building a culture. But even more important than that is I, I just wanted to work with entrepreneurs. And no better group of entrepreneurs than, than growers and farmers. And that's what I really got to understand very quickly. And so my conversations with Uncommon Farms Farms about the CEO uh, role, um, could tell that their mission was, was very pure on just helping family farms control their own destiny. And so that was important to me, and as I got a chance to speak with a lot of the associates and just the passion that they had for working with their clients, uh, I was sold. What makes Uncommon Farms different? There, there's a lot
2: of folks out there providing services, providing resources to agriculture. How is Uncommon Farms different than some of the other options that are out there?
3: So uh, I'm a big fan of an author and an inspirational speaker uh, named Simon Sinek. And, uh, and he uh, put together a concept called the Golden Circle. And every business has a why at the middle, a how as the next ring out, and then the what around the circle around there. And so many businesses define who they are by what they are. And our business is really defined by the why, why we do what we do. And I've talked about that mission. I've talked about that that goal of being the most valuable community of farmers in North America. And you know, I think what makes us different is we're driven by that why. We've built a how model around how to deliver against that in terms of the resources and the consulting and the advisement that we do, uh, the community that we've built, and then the partnerships that we build um, to help our, uh, our clients do what they do. So it's the combination of all of those things, I think, that makes us different versus a lot of the other companies out there that, that do just one of those, one of those things. Can, can you put that into, into perspective for us, Matt, with an
2: example perhaps or a story of a grow you've worked with and how it's worked out?
3: Yeah, I am. Um, so in my first... Uh, year as CEO Um, and the board pushed me and this is what I wanted to do I wanted to be out with as many of our our growers as I could uh, for my own learning cannot coming from the industry and just really getting a good sense for what are the challenges and what are the opportunities that our growers have and then how have we worked with them uh, to be able to solve those and help them control their own destiny which is our mission so I um, you know out of those 50 to 60 conversations that I had on farm and these weren't 30-minute conversations I mean these were all day and the farm tour and, and either sit at the dining room table or sit at, uh, sit in their office <clears throat> I would say, 75% of those those conversations had tears in, involved in them at some point. And if not tears, means I mean strong emotions and could really, really get a sense for the pride and the challenges that our, that our clients face and have and, and the disruption in the industry in which we can help them navigate through. And so, you know, we, we work with farms that are at every stage of their journey. I mean, sometimes, a, you know, a brand-new farmer that's taking on the farm, sometimes because of, you know, some kind of event or a death that they took it on sooner than they wanted to. Uh, we're working with some farms that are, are very much methodically transitioning down to that next generation. What does that look like? And um, sometimes uh, we have to work with a farm that's these are family businesses, so some things are happening. And so, as, as some things move around, how do we help all sides navigate through all of that? So,
2: that's what it's about building that business in that tradition of family and the heritage that comes with so many farms. Matt, as
3: you look out, what is your vision for uncommon farms here into the future? Yeah, so I. I um, again, we're, we're driven by that goal of being the most valuable uh, group of farms and farmers in North America, and we will have slow, steady growth against that goal. Um, we vet our prospective members as much as they vet us, and so this isn't a matter of pay to play, and we're going to take somebody's check, and, and they really need to have the right mindset and be wired the right way and, and truly fit that profile that we're looking for so when they do become part of our community, they can be an active member and really give to get, is uh, or get to give, I guess, is is the way to say that so you know we'll continue to grow Um, as we grow and become more valuable in a larger community of farms uh, we will attract strategic partners that want to work with us and it'll be a sort of a circuitous route around that
2: it'll be a circle that is fantastic folks we are here at the winter conference for uncommon farms thanks for listening to AOA we will have more of this conversation here when we return we have been speaking with Matt Runken, Uncommon Farm CEO Matt thanks for joining us Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you
4: in Louisville. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. On the first
2: Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind—a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable—with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association. Had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe.
4: Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics that came up was the the methane tax emission on cattle, and then the reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is, we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the united states but we have that strong voice within cba within cga in washington dc
2: this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa
5: hey dad your prescription will be ready in just a minute hey dad your laundry will be ready in just a minute dad your lunch will be ready in just a minute
6: hey honey Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at AARP.org caregiving. That's AARP.org caregiving. A public
7: service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in here to AOA. Certainly appreciate being included on a part of your day. If you're joining us for the first time today, folks, we are on location. AOA is coming to you live from Tucson, Arizona at a meeting for the Winter Conference, I should say, for the Uncommon Farms group. But we're going to take a break from our friends here with Uncommon Farms, and we are going to get the rundown on the sunflower situation here around the country. Joining us in this next segment is John Sandbocket. John serves as the executive director for the National Sunflower Association. And John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
8: Well, thank you for having me well, in your program, you today. your program
1: today.
2: John, we have seen a lot of disruptions to ag commodities here over the past year, not least of which have been sunflowers, given that the Black Sea region between Russia and Ukraine produces such a staggering amount of those oil seeds. Can you fill us in how did U.S. production compare last year versus the uh, five year history?
8: Well, you know, we, well, we you had know, just a really nice ramp up on nice acres. Up on acres. Uh, uh, you know, in 2022, 2022, central acres in the U.S. increased about 30%, 30% in our production, our production about, 48% about 48% from the previous, from the previous year. year. So we just had a really so nice crop, nice uh, crop uh, and definitely needed it, it after, the drought, after the drought year we had 2020, in 2020. 2021.
2: Yeah, that drought in 2021 was staggering. So we saw production up, John, prices for those farmers this past year. How did they end up moving throughout the season, given that there was that big spike just ahead of planting season?
8: Well, you know, we, we set brand new records for both new crop and, and for old crop. Uh, you know, we hit that $43 level and, um, you know, that way there was a new record for sunflower.
2: Oh, wow, that, what was the previous record? Was it a substantial win?
8: Yes, the previous record was about $38, so that was a significant amount above that. So, you know, definitely something we're very, you know, happy to see. And obviously, producers took advantage of what the sunflower market was offering and and added some acres.
2: And so, John, the question is, here heading into 2023, as that acreage battle kicks off for the key commodities. How do you think sunflowers are going to fare? What is the economics look so far this year?
8: You know, I, I would say, you know, when we look at their new crop prices we're at right now, we're not quite at the same level we were last year. But then obviously we, we don't have that war boost that we had from the Ukraine-Russian war. Um, but prices historically right now are, are above the historical average by about $4 a hundred weights. So I think we're in a good position to at least maintain acres and possibly add some maybe, you know, 5-10% more um, onto, onto what we put on in 2022
2: john you really think they're going to be able to compete against corn and soybeans given the uh, the economic situation that's out there
8: well you know I, I think you know the returns that that a lot of producers had this past year when, when you look at that gross per acre um they did very well and in fact some areas where it were drier, soybeans didn't do as well and so i think that caught a lot of attention for producers and you know the thing is where, where sunflowers are at you know we're, we're going to definitely have to compete for acres um, but it's not something that we're on un- it's not uncommon and we do it every single year
2: well that's true the sunflower growers always competing for those acres john we're still watching that battle over in russia in the black sea region more broadly does it look like their sunflower production is going to accelerate this year or do you anticipate some planting delays there in ukraine
8: well, you know, their crop, the 2022 crop that they harvested in the Ukraine was about 40% less than what they had harvested in 2021. Um, the Russians did have some issues with their crop, but winter set in a little bit earlier um, than normal, and they've got about 15 to 20% of their crop that's still out there that has not been harvested. So, you know, from from what I'm hearing, you know, and, and it's really hard to get a, a good solid, you know, sense of what's going on because, you know, information is, is kind of disrupted in that region. But, you know, I think that their acreage is going to be about the same, you know, this year, what they had in 2022 overall. But in some cases, you read things that, you know, they're they're having a difficult time with input costs and with diesel and just, just things in general and financing. And so it could possibly cut back on some acres. They could have some idle acres in those countries.
2: John, are we hearing any changes to processing? Of course, with so much, uh, so much sunflower coming out of the Black Sea region, that's where so much of that em- emphasis is for the industry. Are we seeing more build-out of sunflower oil processing facility in the U.S.? No, there, there has not
8: been. We have three, three different crush facilities here in the U.S., um there is one that will be starting up in, in south dakota but that will be probably in about two years or three years from now but they are in the planning stages um, of doing that and it's going to be just a great you know thing to have a brand new plant to come online
2: well john when was the last time we saw an expansion of the the sunflower crush here in this country has it been 20 years
8: oh god at least that you know probably even a little bit longer than that there was you know during the the you know, late seventies, early eighties is when most of the crush plants were built or, or were started. But you know, the the two main plants, the one in West Fargo and one in Enderlin, North Dakota, um have had various additions put on over the years. They've had refineries added on, which they did not have when they first started. And so there has been some expansion in those areas and their capacity has gone up, so
2: Yeah, we're seeing that capacity expand, John. But as you think about the export business, given the very large wrench that was thrown into sunflower oil trading in February of 2022, are U.S. sunflower producers inking any more longer term commitments with some of these foreign buyers? Are we stripping any business from the Black Sea region long term?
8: You know where we've seen our greatest growth has in, been in North America, uh, especially in the Canadian market. Right now, Canada accounts for about 70% of all the U.S. exports, and the Canadians were um, a, a market that were buying both from Ukraine and from other destinations. Uh, but with the war, I think I think a lot of those you know buyers became more aware that you want to buy as close to home as you possibly can. And they just really, you know, strengthen up some ties that we have here with the U.S. crushers and with Canadian customers. Uh, Mexico has also been to be coming back into the market and has been also, you know, a stronger customer. And something that we look forward to in the future um, is Japan. Japan is a really good customer for high oleic oil. And it is just a really good opportunity for us that we're going to pursue and, and try to develop that market.
2: Where do things stand right now with Japan, John, in that high oleic space? Do we need some additional trade action, some barriers removed, or is it just exposing the Japanese to what sunflower oil can bring?
8: Well, you know, with, with Japan, you know, right now it, to export crude oil from the U.S. is duty-freed. Uh, refined oil still does have somewhat of a tariff on it. Uh, and so one thing we would like to see is that that tariff would be obviously removed, but um as far as new agreements things like that the, the current administration really has not done anything and uh, at least you know a long time and so we really need access to more markets and i would really hope that the biden administration would would get into gear here and start doing some negotiations
2: yeah i think i was speaking with some friends from the national corn growers association this past week they are also pushing to see some action on those free trade agreements but john even if we put all the politics to the side which is hard to do in this environment at the end of the day we still got to have supply chains and we saw that be an incredible disruption to trade here over the past couple years so many sunflower supplies coming out of rural areas relying on rail and barges john is the supply chain system working now for sunflower growers
8: you know, most of our, our product is delivered by truck, and so that wasn't as much of an issue for us. Uh, the flow into the crush plants, into the confection plants was, was pretty good. Where it did affect us somewhat, there was bottlenecks in moving the oil out of the plants because those go by rail. And so we did have some issues there. Thank God the barge issue did not affect us, you know, to any degree. Um, it did back up some other commodities, but not for sunflower. And so... You know, we're, we're just hoping that obviously Washington will have stay where they're at, and, and we don't foresee any kind of a rail strike or anything like that, because that could that could impede things for us.
2: Yeah, it certainly could impede things for you, for everybody else. I know we're all keeping an eye on what's going on here with the rails, John. Before we let you go, of course, 2023 is going to be an active year in Washington D.C. Farm Bill 2023 will be under discussion from the sunflower growers' perspective. Are there any things you'd like to see added or changed in the Farm Bill?
8: Well, you know, one thing that we obviously want to have is is a very good strong crop insurance program. It, it's the one feature of the farm bill that is so key to all of us um as far as, you know, with dealing with mother nature. Uh reference prices are going to be something else we would also like to see addressed. Uh you know, given where current input costs are at, things like that. Obviously, we want to see a higher reference price because that that's the real key thing as far as PLC and ARC payments. And so overall, we're just looking at, at a stronger safety net for, for producers and one, one that's going to make, you know, agriculture profitable is business.
2: That's what it all comes down to. These costs have gone up. We've got to make sure our risk management reflects that. John Sandbach, an executive director of the National Sunflower Association, tell our listeners, if you would, John, where can they go to learn more about sunflowers and that industry here in the U.S.?
8: Well, you know, the best place to go would be to our website at www.sunflowernsa.com.
2: Sunflowernsa.com, folks. Check that out. If you are thinking about putting sunflowers in the ground this year, it sounds as though the market is still out there looking for them. John, thank you so much for joining us here today. Always appreciate your insights.
8: Well, Mike, thank you for Mike.
9: Thank you for today. today.
2: Well, and folks, stay with us here in just a couple of minutes. We'll be returning and we'll be back live in the ballroom in Tucson, Arizona with our friends from Uncommon Farms. We are going to be having a discussion here amongst the board members looking out to the future of Uncommon Farms, reflecting on how things have changed over the past year. Stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up in just a moment. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see
5: you in Louisville.
6: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at what's going on here in the trade, we see that Right now, it's a fairly mixed trading day on this Tuesday, fairly quiet action. We see some strength in bean oil, the wheat market finding a bit of strength, while soybeans, bean meal, corn under a little bit of pressure. We see mixed to lower action in cattle and hogs as well, looking like could be another washout day in the hog market as we're turning lower here throughout the session Crude oil is up about a $1.50 a barrel, a little over 75 60 a barrel, with the Dow Jones down 111 points. The president of the Minneapolis Fed this morning said that inflation has not been cooled enough to declare victory, a stance mostly in line with the rest of the committee and policymakers overall. Now, economic indicators remain strong, but that includes a hot jobs market, meaning wage inflation will stay the main problem. Now, the February USDA supply and demand report is on tap tomorrow, often an uneventful one, a minor blip on the dreary winter horizon before the trade shifts its full attention to the U.S. planting season into and through the March 31st acreage and stocks report. Expectations are for steady to higher domestic carryouts, with corn the most likely to add to stocks this month thanks to lagging export and ethanol usage metrics. Now, also for now, the grain market's Going to be fairly mixed, it seems, heading into the report with soybeans generally acting as the buoy due to stronger usage and tighter ongoing stocks, ratcheting only slightly lower off a recent move higher here this month. Overall, we see corn down around three to four here in the trade today. Soybeans uh, anywhere from about three to five lower with wheat markets anywhere from three to seven higher in Chicago and spring wheat with KC wheat a little bit higher, around five to 11 higher That's a check of the market trade here on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike
3: recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceretirement.org now. That's aceretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're
0: listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
2: today in Tucson, Arizona with our friends from Uncommon Farms talk about the work this organization does here at their winter conference meeting. And for this next segment, we're going to take a look at the leadership at the board, the history and the vision for Uncommon Farms. We have some fantastic panelists joining us next. We're gonna speak with Harold Bol- Harold Birch. He's a co-founder and board member here at Uncommon Farms. We're also joined by Kyle Mayman. He's a co-chair of the Uncommon Farms Board and Joel Abitin, he is the chairman of the board here at Uncommon Farms. And Harold, I wanna start it off with you. Tell us, what was
9: your vision when you launched Uncommon Farms? Well, when we started Uncommon Farms back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, we were um, myself and another co-founder, Alan Lash, was heavily involved in the pork industry. And we saw the consolidation that took place in the pork industry in the 90s. And then we started looking at some USDA statistics, especially the difference from 92 to 97, 97 to 2002. We started to see a trend line starting to take place of the... Traditional family farm uh, disappearing from the statistics, and and also noticing that uh, occurring in the in the uh, farm community. And so we, we said, how can we change that? How can we help farms that do what they do and meet their objectives? And still as a group then be able to compete in the industry and so we built a community of of farms to do that and an organization partnering with other uh, resources that may be outside of our group and then also bringing the farms together so they can learn from each other and so they can get the experiences that they maybe couldn't get individually in their own farm operations and get those experiences as they grow their business and meet their goals and objectives they have they do not have to compete at the mega level in the farm.
2: Right, it's about helping family farms find success for their family farms. you are not trying to replicate you know, somebody else's deal, it's no. what works for you, and the community aspect, Harold, seems to be a very big part of that here.
9: That is, that, that was the whole uh, piece of that, is working together, doing things together they couldn't do individually, and achieving goals and objectives above and beyond where they were at individually. That's
2: what it comes down to. And so Kyle, I, I wanna talk to you next, as somebody who has participated, how did your involvement with Uncommon Farms facilitate your return to the operation
7: yeah so our 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 journey into uh, becoming coming back to the farm uh, was was integrated within Uncommon Farms from the beginning Uh, the resources that were available there uh, we went through uh, some interview processes Uh, we looked at uh, financials to see if uh, not only that uh, could we, uh, from a personal standpoint uh, and a family, be able to to make that leap? And then also financially, could our farm handle that? What changes would have to happen in our farm to uh, to make that happen? And and also, uh, was it would we be able to sit across the table from each other at Thanksgiving? And uh, and those are all very very important things to consider ahead of time, rather than to be in the midst of it and and see a problem then.
2: So Kyle, I want to dive into a little bit your transition. You were working outside of agriculture. you were not on the family farm is that right and the the goal was to get back involved with it yes so I was uh, I was in
7: agriculture but I was uh, a chemical sales rep uh, a couple couple states away and uh, met my wife there in Indiana and uh, it, it's a long story but a, a triggering of several events uh, uh, made me decide that it was time for me to uh, grow up and uh, get married and start a family and move home in about six months time frame so uh, yeah so, so we needed some coaching <laughs>
2: right right you know, and we all do when we're getting started I think that's just a fact of life that coaching is so big key. Joel, I, I want to turn to you here with this next question. And I, I want to ask you, building on that from Kyle, that coaching, that growth, how has Uncommon Farms changed how you think about your business?
10: Well I think I think the thing that we saw is we learned we always learn best from, when we're learning from others. So to that point, um, you can't sit it you know, in your office and think you're going to be entrepreneurial or grow your business. You have to get out. What Uncommon Farms allows us to do is get out, get away from the local area, and see what others are doing. Um, This group, uh, they share successes and failures. Um, So you may not always have to invent the next new thing. It's uh, sometimes you're looking for the next person to help you Get there faster that's what it comes back to or respond quickly when things don't go quite right joel the past three
2: years we have seen a lot of unexpected events happen in the ag industry how has working with uncommon farms helped you tackle those or break down these unexpected challenges when they show up
10: well i think as you become a member right you you have to go through a business uh, orientation process so you you learn a lot about your business in that you become more um, instead of being reactionary, you're proactive. Um, So you're kind of trying to get out ahead of things uh, before they occur, I guess would be the summation. But um, I think just through understanding what processes do you need on your farm? Do you have a crisis management plan? You know, what what if there's an accident on the farm? What do you do? Being prepared for those types of things, has helped our, our operation the
2: most you know it's those kind of things that, that maybe you get told about once at a winter meeting when you go and oh crisis manager put a disaster plan in place and then you go home and all of a sudden you know cows are out and the augers not working you got a lot of stuff to do but the ability to come together as a group and have that connection to, to personal you know pressure to get this done and be prepared Kyle I want to turn it back to you you had six months to go from working in chemical sales crash course onto the operation you worked at through working with the team here at Uncommon Farms. Since then you've been going, you've been a part of the operation. How has work with Uncommon Farms helped that be successful since you've rejoined the family operation? You bet, you bet, and
7: and I just expand on you know what Joel has to say there. Uh, the peer learning is as important as anything, but uh, aside from that, uh, we've we've always just considered uncommon farms our go-to call. You know, so if we have an issue and that something that we're not not sure what to do about, if it's a an HR issue or a financial issue, or uh, I, they can't control the weather, but there's obviously different different experts in the building and different resources and partnerships that they have that are they're there, uh, and we can find it all in one place. And it's just very comforting and also those are folks that already understand and know our operation as well
2: that's so true Harold you've spent a lot of times working with so many of the people in this room how has it changed Or I guess what's it been like watching the change over the years here is this has matured
9: and grown yeah it's been quite exciting actually to watch it grow uh, be able to bring new resources in and catch the vision and, and see and watch everybody grow in their business and watch them bring the next generation new in. Uh, Kyle, I remember when he wasn't even barely in high school prior to Uncommon Farms with the family and some of these others, watching some of the kids grow up, now uh, coming back into the operation and really expanding and bringing those new thoughts in, in as well and, and excitement into the farms and as well as the staff that we brought in to, to step up and take take on those leadership roles.
2: That is so key. Kyle, we've seen, same question to Joel, we've seen a lot of disruptions in ag over the past couple of years, but we've seen a lot opportunity because of that same volatility in working with uncommon farms do you feel like your operation is better prepared to handle some of the volatility and maybe action capitalize on it over the coming years
7: I'd like to think so. I mean, none of us can predict the future, but um, what what uh, a mantra early on in uncommon farms for what was that? Um, let uncommon farms be the vehicle that looks outward, outwardly in, in the industry, to help you understand some of the things that are coming, so that you can focus inwardly on your own business and not have to be everything to everybody within your organization. And to have uh, that comfort level with an organization to look out into the future and and be able to uh, at least. Uh,
2: show you the possibilities is, is is pretty comforting it is indeed joel you're currently serving as chairman of the board here on uncommon farms can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the accomplishments over the past couple of years you've uh, you've helped spearhead
10: sure um so when i became a board member our first task was to basically transition from a founder to a a new ceo maybe somebody outside um, so that took quite a bit of time. We, we really wanted, as a board, to do that right. We wanted to think about what we needed, who we wanted, set up the process you know, for the hiring. That, that took a good better part of almost a year to do that. Um, and now we have our CEO. Um, one of the other things we looked at was what do we need to do to onboard that CEO? You know, what does he need from us? What did the members need from him? And Matt alluded to that in his segment. Um, and then from a board standpoint, what, how do we support Matt and his team and the members so what processes do we not have you know what what do we need to develop within our um, board to better serve uh, matt and help him be successful it,
2: it's interesting those exact same skill sets that you're working with with community members across the country to work on building up that business managing that is that C-suite that's the same thing you've got to do here recently at Uncommon Farms Harold I want to turn this this question to you if we've got listeners right now and they've never heard of Uncommon Farms they're unfamiliar with this group altogether. what would be your piece of advice to them where
9: should they learn more what do they need to be thinking about here with Uncommon Farms right uh, go to our website and they can and learn about uh, the company there uh, find out some members that we have in our community and, and talk with them I mean that's the real key is is learning from our other members and getting to know the members that they, we have in, in the community and, and get to know what we're really about and what we really do uh, we maybe haven't been the best at uh, communicating out into our marketing and efforts and things out in to the communities and and we're trying to fix that and improve upon that as we uh, go forward get a hold of Royce uh, uh, get a hold of Joel Kyle Whatever it might be, any of our other members that we have out there, and they can learn more about what we do and and learn how to become a member and the benefits that we have available to them.
2: Absolutely. And, folks, Kyle, if you would tell us what's the website for Uncommon Farms, what our listeners know? Yeah, uncommonfarms.com. Pretty straightforward. That one is pretty straightforward, <laughs> pretty easy to remember. Folks, we're here with the Uncommon Farms folks at their winter meeting in Tucson, Arizona. We have been talking here with Harold Birch, Kyle Maiman, and Joe Averton. Thank you guys so much. For joining us here today on the show. (laughs) And (laughs) folks sitting around, we'll have more AOA coming up right after this.
0: Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
5: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most
11: people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma,
5: not at birth. With macular degeneration, Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
11: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that.
5: Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
1: Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
5: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes Purple Packaging at your grocery store and visit rfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Each season, farmers put it all on the line so it's just good business to get every advantage you
8: can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program
2: terms and
0: conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship
2: practices. I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Lance Kennington, Ph.D. animal nutritionist with CHS. Lance, what advice would you give to ranchers who are looking to improve their mineral nutrition program?
11: Yeah, so every operation in the United States is deficient in minerals or something. And so the first thing to do is have your forages tested for trace mineral content and also their macro mineral content. You'll also uh, want to test for antagonists like sulfur, iron, and molybdenum that can interfere with the absorption and utilization of some minerals. So we need to know where we stand with those on every operation to make the proper mineral program. The second, uh, we'll want to test your water as it can also contain antagonists to minerals which interfere with their absorption. Um, They also tell us the hardness and salinity in the water. If you have moderate levels of salt in your water and high salt content in your mineral, you won't get a consistent intake of your mineral. The cows won't want to eat, and we need to get it in them to get it to do the good that it needs. We are also faced with a very high uh, sulfur content in our water, and sulfur is always a big problem with mineral nutrition. So we need to know if we have a problem with sulfur in the water to help tailor a, a program that fits that particular operation. Third, you need to make sure you keep mineral in front of them all the time and that you accurately monitor their intake so adjustments can be made. And if the cows aren't eating it, then the mineral program isn't doing you any good. So, you know, the most important message is feed the right mineral at the right time in the right amount.
2: That is the key, folks. We've been talking with Lance Kennington, Ph.D. Animal Nutritionist with CHS. And Lance, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. This is
0: Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
2: tuning in for the first time today we are on location tucson arizona working with our friends from uncommon farms folks we've been talking about the work they do here at uncommon farms to make the family farm more competitive more viable as they look out to the future now we're going to bring this conversation full circle we're going to talk to some farmer members here of uncommon farms joining us now are ryan and aiden weeks central Nebraska, not too terrible far from Hastings. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today.
12: Yeah, thanks for
2: having us, Ryan. Aiden, excited to see you here. Appreciate it.
12: Yep, thank you for having us.
2: Folks, let's talk first. Ryan, how do yields look this past year out there in central Nebraska?
12: You know, not too bad. We, we had a pretty good year. We're in, we're in majority irrigated country. We did have had some dry land that was interesting with 7 to 10 inches of rain. Com- yeah. You know, compared to normal, that's way below. So
2: That certainly keeps things interesting, doesn't it, when you get that sort of rain event. Aidan, I to talk to you a little bit here as we go out uh, looking out to this future how long have you been involved in the operation here as part of the family?
12: I want to say since I was able to walk and get in the tractor with dad so I do anything I can to help out on the farm. <laughs>
2: That's what it's all about—is keeping the farm rolling. And Ryan, I wanted to ask you about your involvement here with Uncommon Farms. How have how have you utilized this group? What have you seen in your operation for your membership?
12: So when we joined in 2016, we were kind of going through through a transition and starting to to do some some organic cropping and some things like that. And, and the, you know, we've joined the peer groups. That, all right, folks. We're having a little bit of an IT issue. So yeah, we joined. We started with a the finance peer group, and, and I also started an MD peer group, and now I'm in, in what they call the peer, peer group. And and so you know, with that, um, I meet with our of yeah, peer group about you know two to three times a year okay personal level all right Ryan, nice. hold on one second here we're Sorry. getting a little audio
2: disruption we're gonna get that solved. we have Eli up here Eli's been doing a great job keeping the audio working so far today but you can't do radio without having <laughs> a few things go wrong that's just the name of the exactly. game let's see we got you back with us here I think I'm back hey we got Ryan back with us Ryan you've been involved in a lot of different things here with Uncommon Farms bring it home how has it changed your
12: operation It just helped us grow up um you know I came came back to a very small farm. We grew it and um, we, did, we needed to, yeah, we needed to grow up. So we focused on financials. We focused on um, when we grow the operation, trying to maintain our working capital. And then we'd burn through it. And then we'd build it back up again. And, you know, they really helped us with with focusing in on the business aspects of our farm.
2: Managing the, the business, not just running the business. Yes. Aiden, you're in a pretty crucial time in your life here. You're, you're transitioning right into manhood. So I'm wondering, as a young man, over the next several years, how do you see your involvement on the farm changing?
11: Uh, Whether that's getting involved with
12: more technology and different practices with my dad, looking at different options, whether that's uh, more organic non GMO Benson Hills a good deal it's starting to go on whether that's spot spraying cover crops all those kinds of deals and then Less hands-on involvement more uh, As years in the past and then getting the tools that I need to come back and run that operation to whether that's education at K-State whether that's going to peer groups learning as much as I can from those older guys that have been doing it for a while or just working for other guys.
2: Aiden, you said something hugely important, and to hear, hear a man of your age say it speaks volumes to, I think, your future success. You said, I'm going to need to do less hands on work. You got to get off the operation, don't you, and look at it from a management level. Be up top from time to time. You also mentioned organics and incorporating that into the operation. Ryan, I understand you've rolled that into your production here over the past couple of years. Has it worked well?
12: Yeah, it's worked well. We've, you know, we're, we're probably 80% organic right now, and you know I'd say we're maxed out on the number of acres we can do because it just takes it takes a lot of work it's a different it's a different process than conventional AG. Conventional AG, GMO,
2: organic, you know non-hormone, you name it all the different uh, varieties of production practice that are out there.
12: Has Uncommon Farms been able to handle that transition away from conventional into organic for your operation? Yeah I'm their test model to see if you go broke doing it. Are you broke yet? (laughs) No, 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 we are doing fine. I can tell you Sam Bachman has I've been very nervous for a lot of years over what I've been doing. It has been interesting to watch this
2: change. And Aiden, as you look out to, to the future, your your next step, you mentioned, is college. Are you planning to study agriculture?
12: Yeah, I'm gonna get an ag business degree. Ag business,
2: bring that management to the next level. Ryan, things are changing. Businesses are changing. The ag
12: economy as a whole is changing. How
2: are you keeping
12: ahead of the curve? Well, you know, with the organics, that's helped us definitely on the, on the financial side and also helped to the point where we don't have to grow our, you know, our operation so large that it 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 becomes burdensome for us to manage you know and really focusing on making sure that we have the tools in place for him to come back you know he brings back a, a viable skill that he's able to bring back to the operation and, you know it's different than when i came i came back to a 700 acre farm and you know it wasn't a big focus on management you know now i've had him coming with me to a couple of our gm peer group meetings you know he's here this week you know that that learning from peers and being able to um, learn from others others mistakes is is super valuable to us and you know i think he's got a lot of opportunities for learning that I didn't have from a management standpoint that I think are going to help him immensely going forward and maybe help me get out earlier.
2: Well, that's true. Because, I mean, that's, that's the next step after we grow and bring new folks into the operation. The transition is the next step always always an issue for these farm families. Ryan, have you started to think at all about the transition or are you still in the
12: prime? Yeah, you got plenty of time left. No, know I said before this year I was going to do 11 more crop seasons full time uh, before 2022 season. So at 60, I'm going to go to. You know, I, I want to be able to start handing over slowly some of those management duties and, you know, go out over time. I'm not going to completely retire at 60 years old. I'm going to still be there to offer advice that he probably won't want. <laughs> Somebody's got to drive the great <laughs> car, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That is fantastic. Ryan, for
2: folks who maybe haven't worked with Uncommon Farms, they've heard about it today, curious about it. Where should
12: they start? What, what pulled you into the organization? You know, for me, it, it was, it was the professionalism of the farms that were in it. And, and seeing that and the way they handle things, I just, I wanted to grow. And, and that was the way we wanted to move forward. And so. And it's working. Yes.
2: And it's working, folks. We've been speaking with Ryan and Aiden Weeks here from Uncommon Farms. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And listeners, please tune in tomorrow. We'll be back for more here from the Uncommon Farms Winter Conference in Tucson, Arizona. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope we have a great day going about today. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture
2: news from around the world. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the Monthly Grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association, had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe.
4: Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle. and then the reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is, we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C.
2: This Monthly Grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind here on AOA.